This week, we talked about Ash Wednesday. I really enjoyed my conversation with Bryn. We, we dove into some pretty powerful stuff around repentance and, and people who have been excluded from the church. So join us as we dive into Lent and Ash Wednesday and, and the power that that one service has in getting us moving on a journey towards Lent. So grab your favorite beverage, coffee, tea, water, whatever it is, and join us and your prayer book. Welcome to Lit, a podcast dedicated to life, liturgy, and the pursuit of holiness. I'm Bryn. And I'm Justin, and we're coming to you from beautiful Austin, Texas. Where each week we're talking about liturgy in everything from daily living to following Christ. Welcome back to Lit. Today we are going to be talking about uh, Ash Wednesday. So we're going to just jump right in. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about the liturgy that's in our prayer book, and we're going to talk about how we're going to be practicing this liturgy and participating in this liturgy uh, this year, as well as how it sort of prepares us to observe um, a holy Lent. So, um, Justin, you want to get us started here and where we're going to begin? You're all wrong. Everybody's wrong. No. Okay. So I think to help with Lent, that's just my theme for Lent. You're just wrong. That's why I just look in the mirror and go, I'm wrong. Okay, now I'll reflect. Now, that's a really terrible way to think about Lent. So let me back up. Let's just back up and start at the beginning of Lent and its kind of uh, development to today, to what we think of. Because most of us, when we think of Lent, or at least think of Ash Wednesday, just to stay focused on Ash Wednesday. Let's stay focused there for a minute. We often remember Uh, If we're new to the church, maybe before we got involved in the church, we might have seen people, um, you might have seen people walking around on this particular random Wednesday in February or maybe March, and they had these black things on their forehead. Sometimes they look like crosses. Sometimes they look like smudges. Sometimes they were a combination of all the above. And if you were new, if you're new to the church, you probably remember in those days, you're probably like, what is that? Or maybe you knew that, oh, that's that ash day at the church, something, you know, well, that particular practice goes way back. Um, well, actually it doesn't go way back. It doesn't go back, back to the beginning. It goes back to around the one thousands ish and Bryn can correct me if I'm wrong in a minute, but roughly before the year 1000, uh, it was primarily uh, a practice in the monasteries, uh, during this season before Easter, of intentional reflection, prayer, fasting, dedication, and the actual mark of the cross was something that was put uh, on an aspect of the monk's outfit um, that was kept in private. Because here's the irony of Ash Wednesday uh, in my mind, and it's modern conception. We get crosses on our forehead, but yet we will all hear on February 17th, 2021, if we attend a church in person or online, and we'll come back to that in a minute. You're going to hear a gospel that talks about not disfiguring ourselves, not making it obvious that we're fasting or anything like that. That's going to be the gospel story on Ash Wednesday. And we leave with these big crosses on our forehead. But before crosses, we sprinkled ashes. And the idea behind sprinkling the ashes was to remind us that we're dust. So when we, even to this day, when you get that, uh, that ash cross on your forehead, or if you're sprinkled with ashes, you're going to be told, remember, you're dust, and to dust you shall return, straight out of the liturgy. And the beauty in that is, is back in the beginning when Ash Wednesday really started and it became more of a public uh, ceremony outside of the monasteries, it was an opportunity for us to remember 
that God created us and that we will go back to the dust, just as God said in the garden uh, to Adam and Eve. Um, and as God, as God formed Adam and Eve in the, in the, in the dirt that we go back to the dirt. But if we can hold a place mark here in the Ash Wednesday liturgy in our prayer book and jump to the burial liturgy in our prayer book, there's a part in our burial liturgy where we say, even as we go down to the grave, go down to the dust, we sing our song, Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. So Ash Wednesday, yes, reminds us that we are dust. But as Christians, we remember that dust is not the end of the journey. That even there in the dust, we sing our song, Alleluia, Alleluia. So really, Ash Wednesday originally connected to our death and to our, to our mere essence of existence. Now, fast forward a long time, you get to a thing called Vatican II that we don't have time to unpack, mid-1900s, <laughs> mid and it changed shape slightly. And that's where we developed the smudging. And people started to connect the theology of Ash Wednesday to baptism. And we talked about baptism before. I don't know if we talked about this specifically, but after we baptize uh, a child or, or an adult, we seal them in the Holy Spirit. We, put a, we take some chrism, special oil set aside for this purpose, and we chrism their forehead and say you are marked as Christ's own forever. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. And now the, the sign of the cross at Ash Wednesday is connects to that discipleship uh, mission-oriented aspect of our faith, if I might say that, and baptism. And that's what Vatican II did to Ash Wednesday. It tweaked it some from thinking about the dust at our death and the sprinkling of dirt over the graveside to thinking about our baptismal life. Uh, and that when we get the sign of the cross, it harkens us back to that moment we were sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism. But either case points us on this journey. Ash Wednesday is the start of this journey known as Lent, where we begin to reflect and we pray and we fast and we start to let go of the things that move us away from God. But the theology of the liturgy, I guess, has changed shape slightly. Um, and again, I want to come back to this in a little bit, but it may, we may be bringing some of that back because of COVID and because of safe ways to come together and celebrate Ash Wednesday um, from a traditional standpoint. That is a long thing, Bryn, I just said, um, for you now to tell me I was right, tell me I was wrong, tell me some of it was right, some of it was wrong, enlighten us. Well, uh, I think that was all right, except one thing, I, one detail that I thought was funny that I wanted to, to go back to, um, when, they put the, when they put the sign of the cross or when they sprinkled ashes on the, um, on the monks, they put it on their tonsure. The tonsure is actually like the top of your head because you would have had this funny haircut where the top of your head was like completely bare and then you had like tufts of hair around it, um, much like many bald men currently have. So there's always been an opportunity to put a cross right on the top of your head. Um, but then it would have been like hidden all day. Um, so, you know, the, the same thing applies of like you wouldn't have you wouldn't have been seeing the cross yourself and you wouldn't have been showing it off to everybody around you. So, you know, we've, as, as, as these different rites have evolved and made their way from, you know, monastic use into the ordinary practice of, of lay, lay Christians, um, 
and lay Christians, even meaning like priests and stuff who weren't part of monasteries. Um, then we've had to tweak it a little bit. We've had to, we've had to change things somewhat. But one of the things I think that has has changed, I don't know that it's changed, but I think we've sort of lost sight of it a little bit, was that um that the beginning of Lent, which uh has not always begun with an Ash Wednesday, for one thing, we should note that. Um there, you know, Lent has been observed, I think, at least since like the fifth century, we have, you know, some record of of a period of of penitence before um, Easter, before the great vigil of Easter and the great Paschal feast. Um, so Lent then has always been connected to penitence. Um, but it but it sounds like from my reading of of the literature around it, that the observance of Lent at first was really for like people really seeking penitence, not necessarily everybody, but as the, as the ritual has evolved, um, we've, you know, our acknowledgement has also evolved that like, we're all penitents, even if we don't have some story of, of being, um, disconnected from the church because of our sins. And the, and the prayer book mentions that when we have our invitation to, um, to a Holy Lent, we say that, you know, the season of Lent, we give a little history in it, which I think is great. Um, but the, we say that the season of Lent provided a time in which converts to the faith were prepared for Holy baptism. So that connects to what, what you were talking about, Justin, of like, you know, our, um, our relationship to holy baptism with the sprinkling of the ashes. But it was also a time when those who, because of notorious sin, had been separated from the body of the faithful were reconciled by penitence and forgiveness and restored to the fellowship of the church. Um, so, you know, there were these two sort of, um, there was some utility in this time. It was used for a purpose. Um, and that purpose was either to prepare people to become members of the church in the first place, or it was to prepare people to rejoin the church who had been, um, you know, basically excommunicated from the church because of their notorious sin, um, which could have been a lot of different things. Yeah. And not always the things we think of. I mean, there's a lot of ways in the early church you could have been removed from the or excommunicated, which... Mm -hmm in practice um, could have been, and that could have played out a couple different ways too. And this is what this time is kind of interesting. It could have been complete removal from the community for all parts of the liturgy, which would have been pretty, you had to do something pretty egregious um, for that. Or uh, it could have been other uh, habitual behaviors that might, you might've only been able to come with the catechumens or those in training just for the first part of the liturgy and would not be able to receive communion which mm -hmm. is since is what our excommunication is uh, if we were to excommunicate somebody in the Episcopal church. Mm -hmm. um, but to your point, you know, it was utility. It has a utility to it. Um, and it did. And maybe we've kind of, and you know, let me just be so bold. I think we've kind of lost that to some degree mm -hmm. in our, in our current practice of Lent. We don't have that utility. We don't talk about people of notorious sin. We don't, and we don't all use it um, for some kind of catechumen, um, like we probably should or could even, 
our problem is, I think, or one of our struggles is that we, um, a lot of us and us, I mean, us clergy, when we're thinking about training, we're thinking about confirmation exclusively, not baptism. And I'll come back to this in a second. Whereas in the early church, that catechumenate, those people in training, a lot of them, if they weren't in training for all of Lent, they could, this could be their third Lent that they're walking through and journeying through to the great, to the Easter vigil where they're baptized and will for the first time take the sacrament of Holy communion. Uh And it's a big deal. And they used that time, those 40 days, not counting Sundays before the great vigil of Easter or Easter to prepare themselves for this monumentous occasion of getting baptized. And today we don't do that. uh, A lot of times we, again, we're so focused on confirmation when the Bishop's going to come visit that some of us do catechumenate or do training during Lent. Some of us don't because maybe the Bishop's not coming until November, you know, maybe the Bishop's coming in Advent, you know, not Lent or not an Easter. So it's a really, it's kind of interesting in some ways I'm, I'm afraid that it's lost its, uh, it's lost its utility for us today. Um, mm-hmm. It's almost a moment. Um, it's a season. And we do try to, I know a lot of churches try to beef it up with Lenten programs, try to help people on this journey of fasting and self-reflection. Uh, but when, sometimes I wonder, Brent, if, if we should just seize the utility of it and say, you know what, here's, here's your training for baptism. Whether you get baptized at Easter or you get baptized a little later, mm-hmm. here it is. We're going to do some really intensive work because we believe that what you're about to undertake or what a child is going to undertake and the parents are going to uh, say, the, say the promises for on behalf of, it's really important. So let's unpack that. Let's, let's talk about it. We're going to take these 40 days and we're going to do that together. We're going we're gonna to venture as a community together and get these folks ready um, to be baptized as they did in the early church, to, to okay. enter into the body of the faithful as we've talked about in a prior episode. It's interesting. I mean, I might be on a tangent here, but it is interesting uh, when you use the word utility, it struck me that we, we've kind of lost that utility today. I think one of the ways that we've lost the utility is, you know, it comes like in the, the next part of um, our liturgy, you know, past what I had just read. So, you know, we acknowledge that this was a time that people, were prepared for baptism and prepared to rejoin the community. But it, it then goes on to say, thereby the whole congregation was put in mind of the message of pardon and absolution set forth in the gospel of our savior and the need, which all Christians continually have to renew their repentance and faith. But I think that, you know, some of the utility in, in seeing you know, that somebody had been disconnected from the church, but now they've been brought back or that somebody has been prepared for their membership in the community is just, it's a tangible reminder to the people who are already there that you can be brought back if they're, if you are, you know, disconnected from the church Um, and that you can, you know, and that you were once prepared for this membership um, that even if, you know, even if there are things that separate you from that church, that you can always come back. And I just think we maybe have um, missed that opportunity 
as, you know, as that like tangible reminder that people can come back to church. Cause you know, you probably have a lot of stories that you can recount. I certainly have a lot of stories that I can recount of people who have left the church, um, even not necessarily intentionally, but like things were going really difficult for them. Um, their life was rough for a time, maybe because of something that they did, or maybe something that was happening in their family and that they feel like they just couldn't go to church during that time. Yeah. I have you know, that they wouldn't be welcome there, that they, they couldn't see themselves there. And I think, I mean, man, when, when things are really rough for me, the church is the place I most need to be. Yeah, I have, you know, I can think of several stories. Some are probably too sensitive to share uh, for pastoral reasons um, for anybody who might be listening, who puts together who I'm talking about. But one, I have a, a young man who I, who was a, who was a youth at a church I served Um and by youth, I mean he was under he was a juvenile age uh, in terms of our uh, our prison system in this country, and his story is very public, so I don't mind sharing this. And I encountered him at a time when he was uh, gotten sentenced to spend some a couple years in in jail in juvenile prison, and he was uh, 15 years old and 17 when he came out. And he, when he came out of, and he was serving time for drug charges and um, selling drugs, um, and then some other things that were lumped onto that, that that happened at the time he was arrested, that weren't good. It kind of gave him a pretty hefty, hefty, hefty penalty for his age. Well, when he came out of prison, he really struggled with finding his place in the church because he felt like he had done so many bad things in his life that he didn't fit in the church anymore, that he was incapable of forgiveness. That was what, you know, and spending time with him, helping him articulate. And I will say there were some in the community because he was known, this was not a huge community. He was known in the community. And there were a number at the church who wondered if, if he really was uh, outside or outside of God's forgiveness. You know, and I think if I may pause for a moment in this story and just say, I think that's one of the human sins that we struggle with that we don't name, which is we judge like it's nobody's business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there were folks at this church who had decided it, it, God was the ultimate, you know, I would say that God was the ultimate judge. And somehow they were like the circuit of appeals, maybe like, <laughs> and that they had deemed this young man, uh, among others from the same congregation incapable of really being allowed back in because they are so sinful. They're so bad. And I kind of found it interesting as I worked with this young man and helping him find his place. And of course there were a number of folks at the church who, yeah, I think struggled with his life and his choices and wondered, did he really, you know, this is the great American dilemma. Did he really get rehabilitated? Uh, Did he, was he really going to change his ways? But for the most part, we're supportive. Uh, The church needed to be a place where he could come and be a part of. And what was interesting is on this journey of helping him find his way back in, I'm not going to make this romantic. It wasn't during Lent that this all came together, Um, but it was intentional work by the larger community, reaching out to him, working through their own issues, which is one of of the big jobs of Lent, I think, right? We just happened to do it in the summertime. It was the summertime when all this, when he got out of jail and we started this work of 
incorporating him back into the body of the faithful at this particular church. And it was them and him seeing the relationships that existed and remembering that no one is outside of God's forgiveness and that, oh, wait, we're supposed to be called, we're called to forgive and we're called to reconcile. And that's hard. And I remember there were times uh, with certain people he met with in the church that were in the first group, the group that thought he was, you know, outside of God's forgiveness, they turned, changed their mind that, that in relationship with him and getting to talk to him and getting to know him and not him doing all the work, right? Not him saying, I'm just so bad. I'm so bad. I'm so bad. I'm it's him being who he was at that particular time, acknowledging, yeah, I made some choices that weren't exactly what God wanted me to do. And here's where I am that started to soften those, those folks up and, and realize that they had to do the hard work of reconciliation. And, um, and that's tough. And that's, that's a big, big job. But, you know, here's somebody who the community, when he was sentenced, really kind of forgot about him. Not many people went to see him at all in jail. He was notoriously a sinner. He was out. And here he was getting folded back in about three, a total of three years later, really, two years in jail and then another year or so of working. And him feeling like by the end of that kind of assimilation back into the community, feeling like he was a part of it, feeling like he wasn't defined by these, these few actions that he made that were bad, but that, oh, wait, he was a child of God, that he was capable of forgiveness and that he was, he was able uh, to be forgiven and that he could be a part of the body. And we brought him back in. Um, and it was a powerful time, I think, in the life of this church. And I think it's probably, it won't end up in the history books, but I can imagine that it, from a spiritual growth standpoint, that'll be a huge benchmark of spiritual growth on that story of that church mm-hmm. coming and doing that work. Yeah, I think that's such a an important example of of how the church can can participate in in the whole exercise of repentance because what we know too and what we what we believe is that you know his his sin was not greater than the sin of the people who judged him you know his his sin was not greater than the sin of of the people who you know struggled in their own lives to be obedient to god and to care adequately for their neighbor um and i think you know lent is is that opportunity for us not to compare our sins to anybody else's but to see our own sins for the the deep wound that they are and for the intense separation that they cause in our own lives, our distance from God. And I just, I think what I like so much about that story is, is that I bet there were people in that congregation who got to see, oh, this person got welcomed back. And so I can be there too. Like this is a place for me too. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, I think part of, part of that story reminds me of, and as it relates to Lent for me personally, is I feel like Lent is the time where I have to remember that, yeah, I can point out the speck in somebody else's eye, but I better deal with the plank in my own eye. Yeah. And that, 
I need to grab humility hard and fast. And humility for me is simply remembering that there's a possibility that I'm wrong. <laughs> Mm-hmm. There's a, I think I said this in the last week's episode, but it's really powerful. I mean, and that's not a Justin Yon original. That's uh, straight out of the early church, you know, yeah. part of the understanding of humility for the early church guys, the people that we, um, we kind of immortalize as the founders of our theological doctrine saying, basically, I may have got this wrong. So there's humility. You know, you have to believe that you could be wrong. And if you can just start to believe that, then you can start to seize, I think, relationship. You can start to deal with your own stuff, your deep, acknowledge, as you said, acknowledge the mortal wound that your sins cause and realize they don't define you completely, that we're very multifaceted, that we have beautiful gifts and talents that we need to, that we need to uh, bring to life. Mm-hmm. And Lent gives us a chance to reconnect with those and let those sins go. So... Um, not let them go, work through them, work through yeah, them, so. and then work through the relationships in our lives that are really on edge. And I think that's the harder part. I think that that's the harder work of reconciliation is working through really hard and and complicated relationships where there's hurt, you know, because sin causes hurt. That's the other thing. I mean, it causes hurt. It hurts people. Yeah. It hurts relationships. Yeah. It hurts a lot. I just, I think that it's, you know, we have maybe a tendency to want to like do a kind of self-help or therapeutic work to work through that. And there are certainly tools and resources that can help people do that kind of thing. But the church also has a resource for that. And it, it is, you know, basically the practice of repentance. Um, And I think that the Ash Wednesday service is a great um, it's a great marker of of beginning that work in some really intentional way. And what is more humbling than being reminded that no matter you know where your degree is from, no matter what kind of car you drive, no matter whether you've been divorced three times, no matter whether your kids love you or hate you, um, that you are dust and to dust you shall return. Yeah. That like none of those things ultimately matter, good or bad. If you are a notorious sinner or if you are a a beloved pillar of the community, it doesn't matter. You are dust and to dust you shall return. And with that, that's not supposed to put you down. That's not supposed to say, you know, that you've gotten too big for your britches. That is saying, now we're going to start here. We're going to start with, you know, once you can acknowledge your, your own mortality and that you are dust, just like everybody else is dust, then you can start to see things for the truth that they are. And I think, you know, and the church in her great wisdom then puts into the liturgy you know, if we just continue on in the liturgy into the litany of penitence, then it starts to help us like actually have a way of even sort of cataloging where we go from there. What do we do once we've acknowledged that we're dust? Well, let's let's try to see the truth of our sinful existence um, yeah. with clearer eyes now. 
And that's what makes the litany of pendants so powerful each year that we do it. And it's something I highly encourage people to reflect on. And I think you're the same way. Reflect on during your Lenten journeys. Go back and reread this. And it's really powerful because uh, we say it, those words resonate with us individually. We say it as a corporate body of the church, of the ways we've messed up as an institution, as that corporate body, and also on behalf of the whole world, the whole body of people. And there's some pretty, I mean, this is what's interesting to me. I mean, I would think that we should wake up when we read this this year, in particular of all years. For some reason, I just think we should wake up when we read this. There's some pretty powerful statements. Our self-indulgent appetites and ways, our exploitation of other people. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we're going to say that, we better look at how we've exploited people because most of us have. You know, that's, yeah. this, that's that deep wound that we were just talking about. Our past unfaithfulness, the pride, hypocrisy, and impatience of our lives. You know, I mean, these are really powerful ways, uh, statements. Um, yeah, our some, intemperate love of worldly goods and comforts and our dishonesty in daily life and work. Like, if that doesn't just sort of give you a gut check, like, uh If you don't feel punched, yeah, if you don't feel the air taken out of your... But here's the thing. Just as fast as that air might be feel like it's taken out, God is entering in anew when we accept that and then say, what do I do? And that's when I go back to Psalm 51, which is right before the litany of penitence. Yeah. Give me the joy of your saving help again. You know, as soon as we realize that we have done these things, the quicker we cry out to God as the psalmist does and say, give me the joy of your saving help again. Created me a clean heart, O God. Mm-hmm. You know, the power is God is still right there with us. God's not saying, see, I told you so. God is right there with us, calling us home. But part of that, if we want to have a real relationship with God, we've got to acknowledge the darkest parts of our behavior and and start to clean out the closet, if you will, so that we can make space for those things that God's called us to do to come back. So I, I, I worry sometimes, and I may be on a little bit of soapbox, not all the time do I worry, but sometimes I worry we go through the liturgy of Ash Wednesday and things like the litany of penitence kind of, we say it, but we don't really internalize what we've just prayed together. We, yeah, I, These are there for a reason. Wake up kind of like, here you go. Remember when we invited you to a Holy Lent? Well, here you go. We're starting right now. Here it comes. And the part of the liturgy that's right here. Well, but if you... If you- if you'll lend me your soapbox for a minute, yeah, then I'll, go for it. Go I'll, for I'll, it. I'll step up and and say some things too. I think you know this goes beyond the Ash Wednesday service, but I think if we were able to see the prayer book as not just a not just a big service booklet, you know, because we can sort of get into the mindset that like this book, it just tells us what the prayers are um, all in one place instead of having to like reprint them each week, which some places do anyway. Um, But that's a different soapbox. Um, But if we look at this as like a real tool for our spiritual living, then we won't just use the Ash Wednesday liturgy in here on Ash Wednesday. We will come back to it that will you know, come back to this litany of penitence that will come back to 
this invitation of the church to observe a season of, of repentance um, that will come back to this reminder that we are dust, um, you know, and we'll be able to read through these things. Like this is a real tool for our discipleship. This isn't just a big service booklet. Um, and so I think, you know, I think it's probably too much to expect that one Ash Wednesday service can put you completely in the place of humility and repentance. I think that's too much to ask of, of a single service, but this does give us all of the tools that we need to continue on that journey. So it starts the journey. It kind of starts the journey for us in a very powerful way, I think. So I think for our listeners, for anybody who has access to the book of common prayer and, and we can put a link to an online book of common prayer in our short, in our show notes so that you can look at this online if you don't have access to a, to a prayer book. But the Ash Wednesday liturgy begins on page 264 of the prayer book. And it's only a few pages, like six pages. Um, and read through it. Like, look at what, look at what we say, look at what we are praying, look at what we're asking God for, and look at the reminders to us of what we need from God. You know, because part of part of the season of Lent is accepting again our utter reliance on God. And when we look at our sins, when we look at those as our failures, um, then we see that we couldn't do it all on our own. And we can open up ourselves to knowing that like, without God, we can have nothing, we can be nothing. Um, And so it, it reminds us of our utter dependence on God for everything. And I think it creates, you know, it starts to work. And if we journey through Lent in this intentional way that we've talked about, then we also start to understand that, I I think we start to capture our imagination, if you will. Imagination may not be the best word, but just go with me for a second. We can start to imagine the ways that God calls us to do the wonderful work that God calls us to do. When we kind of get out of our own way, we can start to imagine. And then we realize the imagining is actually reality. We can be these things. We can do these things that are quite powerful in the world. We can be witnesses to who God is, a very living God, a resurrected Christ in the world. Um, And part of what prevents us from doing that is us. It's not Mm -hmm. all these other things we want to point the finger at. It's ourselves. It is our own nonsense. And Ash Wednesday, as you said, can't do it all. But it definitely starts to open the door for us to say, oh, boy. I've got some work to do here mm-hmm. and I've got some time to do it. So the idea being when you get to the end of Lent, you know, one, one could say you do this continually throughout your life, which is true. Yeah. But for this liturgical life, this liturgical season, hopefully if you spend the time in Lent really doing this work and when you get there on Easter, I guarantee, I guarantee you, I can promise you, that you're going to hear scripture you've heard before, but it's going to hit you a new way. The prayers and the way that liturgy flows for Easter and Easter vigil will hit you completely differently. The way you hear a baptism liturgy, when you hear those prayers spoken, will hit you very differently. 
uh, because you've done this hard work of really starting to look at yourself. You've done that self-reflection and you've, you've lived in a very penitential way for a period of time, which I think we're going to come to in a couple of future episodes. So I don't want to steal all the thunder now, but there's some power in that. There's power in living a, uh, this particular time together uh, that is known as Lent, starting with Ash Wednesday. There's power in doing Ash Wednesday, praying Ash Wednesday together uh, as a corporate body, uh, which will happen all around the world um, on Ash Wednesday. So, you know, I think we just have to dig in. You have to dig in. And then also, I want to say, too, when you get to the, this is the interesting thing, right? This is the transformation somewhat of of of, of Lent, of that journey in a nutshell. If you, if you go to the end of the litany of penitence, it changes tone slightly. Mm-hmm. Restore us, good Lord, and let your anger depart from us, accomplishing us the work of your salvation by the pro- by the cross and passion of your Son, our Lord. Bring us with all your saints to the joy of His resurrection. Yeah, I mean, there it is, folks. But in order to really fully embrace that, we have to do. We have to go there. We have to go. We have to go to those heavy spots in our lives, those dark places, we have to start to deal with that. Um, That stuff holds us back from really embracing. Before we end, because I think we're wrapping up here, I want to say to, to our listeners that, you know, one of the, one of the real, um, I guess, privileges that, that, you know, you and I have Justin as clergy is that we get to help people do that work. And so, you know, for our listeners out there, whether you're a member of one of our congregations or whether you're just listening to this and and thinking that you, that this sounds like a lot of work and that you might need a little bit of help with it. um, There are clergy who, you know, all of us are available to help do this work. Like you don't have to do this work by yourself. Um, And, you know, part of, you know, one of the things that we'll get to in, in a future episode is talking about the, you know, reconciliation of a penitent, um, our service of reconciliation in the prayer book. Um, But even before we get to that, Lent has also been a traditional time where people do make a confession um, and where you get to sort of lay things bare before um, somebody who will promise you the the absolution, the forgiveness that God um, has guaranteed to you. Um, and and the priest doesn't, you know, what we believe in the Episcopal Church is the priest doesn't give you the forgiveness. the The priest pronounces God's forgiveness, which is already guaranteed to you. Um, that's also something that you can do on your own and God is going to forgive you even if you don't confess your sins to somebody else. Um, but it can be a pretty cathartic experience to, to go through the work of, of a confession, to make that confession and to hear from somebody else who has heard all of those dark parts of yourself that maybe you've never told to anybody else and to, to grant you forgiveness. Um, it's a huge relief. And it really can feel like a new start, uh, a new opportunity to be with God in a different way now. For sure. And I'll just echo that as we close that um, we're here for you. And if you're in another part of the country, another part of the world, you're not in Austin, Texas, 
still reach out to us. We we have contacts. We'll try our best to get you connected with somebody who can journey and walk with you during this time. That's how yeah. important Lent is to both Brent and I. And I will say to you about Ash Wednesday, check your local Episcopal churches. If you're here in the Austin area, you can email Brent and I. We have services, um, obviously living into COVID type environment for Ash Wednesday. Um, mm-hmm. And we're here during Lent. We'll have Lent services. So let us know. We want to help you find what you need on your journey. So uh, so journey with us. Journey with us yeah. this Lent, for sure. And and as Bryn said, we're going to be picking up more on the on the season of Lent and some different aspects of the prayer book in the coming weeks, in the coming episodes. So stay tuned. Well, Bryn, I enjoyed this. So I said, tell you what, everybody, we'll see you next time. And, uh, and we'll be in the season of Lent then. Lit is a production of the Reverend Bryn Bond and Justin Yon, Episcopal priests in Austin, Texas. Music is provided by Alitu. We encourage you and invite you to send your questions to us via the emails you'll find in the show notes below. We will ask, uh, answer them on air at a future date, and we so appreciate your listenership.